Open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 7. I want to welcome our guest this morning. Hope you're comfortable with us. Let you know we've been in the Gospel of Mark for quite some time now, trying to see Jesus, mindful that it's always telling us about Jesus, and that's our task. Um, the setting here in chapter 7 is Jesus is still moving around the regions of northern Galilee, still trying to get some downtime or some focus time with just the disciples, and he's not having a lot of luck. Uh, the demands of ministry plus the opposition from the religious authorities uh, continually are, are pursuing him, confronting him. And so um, it's gotten so bad, it's gotten so bad that we have Jesus and the disciples literally leaving the country. They're just going to flat get out of Dodge. They're, they're going to leave and they're going to head north into a totally different country to try to get some of this down times. And in the process, um, as, we, as, we, as you will see this morning, if you haven't read it, if you have read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, we're going to read what is at face value one of the most disturbing passages in the scripture. Not disturbing in the sense that, you know, if you read the, the crucifixion, then you, that, just, that picture is so disturbing. But what is said, um, it just shocks us, really, and leads us saying, really? Is that, is that accurate? Did Jesus actually say that? Very, very, again, disturbing passage. And so um, it really does tell us something critical about our Lord. So without any more, uh, let's just go to Mark chapter 7, beginning in the 24th verse. And from there he, our Lord... From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter and going back home. She found the child lying on the bed, the demon having departed. Father, thank you for your word, Lord, as we look to it this morning. Lord, our need we know and confess is to see Jesus, to see our Savior, to learn of him and to be nourished, Father, by the truth um, that, that, Father, he lived out and showed us and would work into our lives today. So, Father, by your Spirit, speak to our hearts today. We'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That would get Jesus canceled today, right? Just point blank. I mean, people wouldn't buy his merchandise. You know, they wouldn't they'd block him off of Facebook. He'd be, he would disappear in, in today's society. And it does, in all seriousness, beg the question, is he really that heartless? Is he bigoted? Because it sure looks that way. It sure sounds that way. Well, I would, of course, suggest there's something very different going on here, and that's our our task this morning to, um, to find it. And of course, the first part of that is making sure we have the setting right, that we're looking at things in context, and then to look at what actually transpires, what is actually said, and in some cases, what is not said, so that we can ask the question, what is this saying to us? So let's just, again, focus on the setting in a little more detail. Um, Jesus has been trying for some time to get away with the disciples. 
He's been trying to get some alone time, just he and the disciples. It goes all the way back to the midpoint of chapter 6, when the disciples came back from going, you know, they were sent out two by two, and they came back with a great report. And right there in chapter 6, in, in verse 31, he said, come away to a lonely place by yourselves, get some rest. And they've been trying to do that. And they've been going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee trying to make that happen, and it doesn't work, because wherever they go, they get met by crowds. Crowds with Endless needs, which is the human condition. Nothing surprising about that. Um, they meet the religious types that had their questions or their objections, their accusations, and he has to deal with that. And so he's not able, hasn't been able yet, to get any time away with the disciples. And that's a twofold need. He's trying to meet two different needs there. First of all, they need physical rest. The demands have been extraordinary. They are exhausted, and frankly, I think Jesus is exhausted as well. Um, but they also need that focused time. He is preparing them for when he's going to be gone. He needs that time. Um, and they're just struggling to get it. And you know, in a way, that's reassuring to me. That is. That is reassuring to me to see the Lord with his disciples trying to get that away time, that focused time, and not being able to do it. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Jesus, Son of God, Lord walks on water, casts out demons, multiplies bread and fish and wine, rebukes the wind and the waves, and they, you know, all this, he does all this, right? But he can't get any time off. The scripture is clear. He wants this downtime, and he is simply unable to get it. Every time he gets somewhere, he's confronted by need. And he, and he serves. He, he, he meets the need. As tired as they are, as much as they need to, time away, he meets the need. Of course, all this is pointing to Mark chapter 10. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life a ransom for many. So as, as tired as they are, as much as they need time away, he pauses to meet the needs of people. It tells us a lot about him. But it also shows his humanity. Very clearly shows that sometimes... Jesus got frustrated. I know that doesn't necessarily fit our paradigm of the Son of God, you know, fully divine, fully God, but also f fully human. Sometimes he was frustrated. In fact, they're so frustrated that they actually leave the country. They head northwest out of Galilee to Syrophoenicia, to the city of Tyre, a pretty big city full of a lot of foreigners, good chance to slide in incognito. Nobody's going to notice me. Finally get that downtime that we really need. Now, just a quick note about the relationship between Israel and, and Tyre, or Tiro, uh, and Syrophoenicia. Um, the relationship there was one that had evolved. If you know your Bibles, you know in the Old Testament, when Solomon was building the temple, King Hiram of Tyre uh, supplied a lot of the raw materials, even supplied some of the skilled labor to build the temple. So back in David's time and Solomon's time, the people of Tyre and the people of, of Israel had a really good relationship. Well, that has changed drastically, especially in the, in the three centuries since the demise of Alexander's empire, when Alexander's empire you know, was divided up on his death among his four top generals, uh, Israel found itself right on the border between two of those, you know, mini empires. And they, they were played as a pawn, and it got really bad, especially with the attention that came from the direction of Syrophoenicia and the city of Tyre. And a lot of the things that happened under the influence of the people of Tyre 
um, is what led to the Maccabean Revolt in the second century BC, where the people of Israel had just had it. They were tired of the abuse. They were tired of, of, of the gross irreligious stuff. And mostly they were, entire, they were tired of the infusion of Greek culture polluting their way of life. And so we had this big revolt in the second century. It led Israel to a br brief period of freedom. Uh, before the Romans came. So in the last couple of centuries, the relationship between Israel and Tyre has not been good, right? They're not friends, not anymore. And it's into that environment that Jesus goes. Again, he's just trying to get, you know, some downtime. Jesus isn't headed into friendly territory at all, but he's looking someplace, maybe they don't know him, they certainly won't put demands on him, and it doesn't work. Verse 24, he's no more than arrived there. He's gone into a home. Hopefully nobody has noticed, and he's impressed with the need for ministry. What actually happens? Okay, um, verse 25, a woman hears of Jesus. She has no firsthand knowledge, no firsthand experience, but she's heard of the guy from Israel, the guy from Galilee who can do really good things. And so she comes to Jesus, and she has a daughter a daughter that is possessed of an unclean spirit, right? Now, Mark says she comes and she falls at his feet. Matthew gives us a little bit more. In Matthew's account, it starts with her yet a distance away from Jesus, and she's shouting at him. She's shouting, uh, Lord, son of David, have mercy. My daughter has a demon, cast it out. And she's shouting this at a distance. And, and as Matthew describes the situation, it gets to the point that the disciples turn to Jesus and say, would you please get rid of her? She's just making a racket, right? And it's at that point that Jesus turns and starts to say the things that he's saying. And it's not until he starts to respond to the disciples that the woman gets closer and falls at Jesus' feet, right? So she falls at Jesus' feet. She says, mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Where'd she get the idea to approach Jesus this way? She has no first-hand knowledge. It doesn't indicate she had any, any understanding of Scripture, no connection at all. I would suggest she had heard about Jesus from somebody else. Maybe somebody was there when he cast a demon out of somebody else and said, this is how you do it. You approach Jesus and you say, okay, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Boom, you get what you need. Because frankly, she has no other reason to expect him to give her the time of day. Her expectation, she has no, no reason to expect Jesus to give her, again, the time of day. That's not why he's there. He's not there to minister. More importantly, more importantly, there are some real serious barriers that exist between she and Jesus. That's what we're really looking at in this passage, is somebody with a need, but some real serious barriers that stand between them and the need. Verse 26, we start to see these barriers enumerated. It says, first of all, it says this woman. Now, we're mindful, of course, because of the woman at the well and the woman with the issue of blood, that these aren't Jesus' barriers. Jesus has no problem ministering to woman, but culturally, this still remains a very inappropriate thing. The cultural expectations, which would have been her perspective, women did not preach, did not approach rather men they didn't know. They especially didn't approach Jews. They especially didn't approach Jewish holy men. That's just not done. So there's a barrier there, right? It's a cultural norm. It didn't necessarily affect Jesus, but it would have affected her. She was a Gentile. Right? And the word, of course, that is used there, the word that is translated Gentile, is she was a Greek. Now, that didn't mean she was ethnically Greek. That meant she 
she lived in a Greek-speaking culture. Again, the infusion of Greek culture, Greek language, Greek thinking, as a result of Alexander's you know, adventures that had led to the pollution of Jewish thinking. So culturally, she's, she's got a barrier. She's coming to Jesus from the very cultural perspective that the Israels, Israelis had fought a war to get rid of. Okay? Jesus responds saying, in Matthew's gospel, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Literally, you're simply not a concern to me, and I would suggest she knows that. She knows that. She's of the Syrophoenician race. Again, a culture not identified with the people of Israel on good terms at all. They are enemies, right? She's completely foreign in every way. Matthew adds that she's a Canaanite, and that's a significant note because of the reference to the dog, because there's a linguistic uh, connection between the word Canaanite and the word dog. It's just a, a, a connection of sound. The word doesn't mean that. But in Jewish thinking, Canaanite dog was like one word. That's how they thought of the Canaanites, Canaanite dog. So there's a play off of that, right? Simply put, this is a woman with seri a serious need that Jesus can address, but there is a whole list of barriers that stand between she and Jesus. There's a gender barrier. There's a culture barrier. There's even a DNA barrier. No common ground with Jesus. Verse 27 Jesus explains why he persists in this apparent refusal. He said, let the children first be satisfied. Clear reference to the children of Israel. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let's be honest, this is brutal to our ears. You read this and at first blush, there's no good way to take this. It just sounds like he's being a bigot, pure and simple. Or he's just so depleted and so tired that he doesn't care. Is he that unfeeling? It certainly sounds that way at first blush. So what's the deal here? Well, verse 28 is where she responds with the words that we know so well. She answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. The key to that verse is the word answered. Now, if you follow the text carefully, most of the conversation follows a he said, she said, he said, she said, right? And the conversation isn't entirely connected. It's kind of common in Mark's writing. This one time in this setting, Mark uses the word answer. And that is a word, that means a statement that is organically connected to what preceded it. You ever notice, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the discussions we have, especially arguments, if you sit back and listen to two people, it sounds like they're not talking to one another. You know, they say things that just aren't connected to the other person. This is a statement that she makes that is directly connected to what he said. You can't understand what she, he, she says without understanding what he has said. The two phrases are connected, right? She answers him, right? Jesus said it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. But, she said, don't even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Okay. Do you think that's an answer she thought of on the spot? Or did she come, quite literally, with her verbal guns loaded? Did she get an answer that she was expecting 
a stereotypical answer that she would logically have been expected from any Jewish rabbi or teacher. And when she heard him say, notice what Jesus hasn't said to this point. What has Jesus not said to this point? No. He never told her no. He simply pushed back. My daughter has, has, is a demon. She's, Lord, deliver her. I was sent to the children of Israel. My daughter has a demon. You can deliver her. It's not good to take children's bread and give it to the dogs. She's got it. You see, what he has done is lead her to a place through the barriers. She's got all these barriers that stand between her and the Lord. Gender, culture, even DNA. Such that, it's, as far as he is concerned, as a Jewish holy man, she's no different than a dog. Ah, but as a dog, I do have access. I have a way through the barriers. Even the dog eats the crumbs that fall from the table. What we see as a rejection based on very real issues. He's not making this stuff up. These are real issues. What we see as a rejection based on real issues in her mind is the opening she needs. Not to simply pretend the barriers aren't there, but to provide a way through. Oh, now I have a way through. I have a point of access. Jesus never said no. And man, we can learn a ton from that, can't we? How many times do we come to the Lord with a prayer or a need and we lay it before the Lord and nothing happens and we conclude he has said no when he never said that at all. He just hasn't answered yet. Maybe he's pushing us to look for a way through the barriers. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Right? Interestingly, Matthew, at this point in his gospel, has Jesus commenting on her faith. When she says, you know, even the dogs can eat the crumbs of all. Jesus says, for, for your faith, right? Mark says nothing about faith. Mark's focus isn't on faith. Mark's focus is on her perception. And Mark says, for this answer, this word that you've spoken, go, go, go your way, your daughter's healed. Mark wants us to see the importance of her answer because her answer shows that she has negotiated a way past the barriers to get what she needs, which is communion with the Lord. Because of your answer, verse 29, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. Verse 30, the woman goes home and finds it so. Here's my question. When did the demon leave? The grammar of the text suggests that when Jesus said that, the demon has departed from your body. It was already gone. Rather from your daughter. It was already gone. When did, when did it happen? Did Jesus, like, multitask? While he was engaged in the conversation, that he was casting out demons at the same time? I would suggest, and you, you know, you're free to disagree, I would suggest, based on the terminology, that while the exchange is going on between the woman and Jesus, that the demon, conscious of the direction this is going, decided it was time to leave. Maybe he's, I don't know, smarter than your average demon. Maybe he's had a friend that he talked to, you know, took a ride in a pig sometime back. And he said, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm out of here now. I don't know. The fact of the matter is, by the time she gets home, actually, by the time Jesus even speaks, the demon is gone, and she go, finds her home, goes home to find her daughter resting, right? 
So what, is it, what does it really mean to us? Well, first of all, I think the first thing we can learn from this is to recognize the difficulty simply of life and being a life of service to God doesn't change that. Doesn't change that. Life's hard. A good friend was a pastor of the International Church in Greece was fond of saying, life is hard, then you die. It's hard. Even for our Lord, Jesus in his humanity struggled and was disappointed. You have a hard time seeing Jesus being disappointed? Think of how many times he said to the disciples, are you still so slow of understanding? You still don't understand this. He'd been explaining stuff time and time and time again, and they'd even been out there doing the stuff, and then immediately after, they'd forgotten again. I really have to wonder, this is wholly speculative on my part, but it helps me see some things, how Jesus' prayer life went, you know? When he was talking to his whole heavenly father, what did he say? God, what am I going to do with these guys? They're just not getting it. And did his father say, hey, don't forget, they're human. I don't, we, I don't know. But Jesus was clearly disappointed with the progress of his disciples. You're so slow. You know, there was never a moment. We have Jesus, Son of God, Holy Divine, Jesus, Son of Man, Holy Human. There's never a point in which he was like completely in one mode or the other. We tend to like take Jesus and cut him in half, like is it divine side and the human side? No, perfectly blended. 24-7, holy God, holy human, subject to disappointment just like we are, subject to frustration just like we are. Jesus had to navigate the exact same waters. Straining against the oars, right? We talked about that a couple weeks back. That's part of the human experience. What it doesn't mean is that we're not in the perfect will of God. You can be, we can be exactly where God wants us and still be having a hard time. So don't assume because you're having a hard time you're not doing what God wants you to do. It's just part of the human condition, and that's encouraging. Second, recognize that there are barriers, and instead of pretending they're not there, try to focus our way through them. Jesus was not insulting the woman. He was identifying the barriers and helping her navigate through them. You want proof of the barriers? Compare this woman to the woman back in chapter 5 that had the issue of blood, the one that made her way through the crowd, reached out and touched Jesus' garment, thinking, if only I touch his garment, I'm healed. And she was? What's the big difference between this woman and that woman? This woman here in this chapter and the issue of blood. This woman never physically touched Jesus. She started at a distance. She tried to keep her distance, and only when that failed did she approach him close enough to fall at his feet. She never touched him. She was conscious of the barriers between them. She could not get past them until Jesus drew her past those barriers. Recognize the barriers. The verbal exchange between she and the Lord just leads her to a way through barriers. Boy, is that a lesson for us? Again, we come to the Lord and we lay our request before him and there's no answer from heaven. Rather than assume that's a no, say, okay, Lord, show me what's the barrier between this and what I need from you. Show me what is separating me from you right now because ultimately that's always the need. The communion, the connection, the touching of our Lord. That's what we always need, his touching us. That's always the greatest need. Lord, show me how I get to that place, and the answer to my need will come. Third thing. First thing was recognize difficulties are part of the human experience. They're going to be there. Secondly, recognize the barriers standing between us and the Lord. Identify those barriers and ask the Lord for a way through. Third, be 
persistent. At no point in this entire... I'm just curious. Raise your hand. Has any of you ever asked the Lord for something and he actually said no? I don't know that I feel here. I've ever asked the Lord for anything, ever prayed for anything, and had God actually said no. It's usually nothing happens. So I assume he said no. Right? Persistence. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sounds like a no to me. It's not just a barrier. Let the children be satisfied first. Sound like a no? No, just a barrier. It's not good to take the children's bread. If that's not a no, I don't know what is. No, it's a barrier that he leads her through. If we don't get the answer we need, we need to keep trying. We need to look for other ways through. We need to ask for his way through. Boy, that's a huge... I'll just... For me, I come to the Lord, I've got a request, I'm praying, and there's no answer... And what I usually find is I'm trying to navigate my way to the Lord to get the answer I need based on my understanding of the situation, right? Oh, it must be because he doesn't like me, right? Must be because he's upset with me. What an idiot, right? No. What's his perspective? What is he telling me about the barriers? And that takes persistence, it takes remaining in the place of, at Lord, what is going on here? Be persistent. We don't get the answer. Keep trying. Try to find another way to get there, another way to get to him. The answer may be not, may, it may be a no. He can say that. But more often than not, it's a yes we just haven't gotten to yet. You know, we're so prone to thinking. We're so prone to thinking that with salvation, that's it. You know, we come to the Lord. Acknowledge we're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Guilty of sin. I need to step into right relationship with God. He pays the price for my salvation in his blood. That's how it works. We are guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Wages of sin are death. We know that. We have eternal separation from God. We confess our sin. We ask him to apply the blood to our lives. You know, here's the righteousness that he died for us. His death pays the price for my sin. Boom. I have eternal life. Heaven's guaranteed. I'm good, right? Am I? Is that all there is? No, there's so much more. That point of salvation experience really opens a door that brings us into what the real goal is, and that is relationship with him. The goal is relationship with him. The legal equation is necessary because it opens the door, but the goal isn't simply to fulfill the legal requirements of the law. The goal is to bring us into a relationship, a place of communion and fellowship with him. Well, relationships, think about your own experience, especially restored relationships usually have things that remain to be dealt with. There's usually issues, concerns, hurts, wrongs, misunderstandings. You make the list. Pick a restored relationship in your mind. It may even be a, uh, not be the most important one, but just think of a restored relationship or a relationship in terms of restoration. Okay, the relationship is, is restored. Yeah, we're talking to one another, but then there's that long list, right? Stuff to deal with. 
Well, when we come to the Lord in faith and we accept, you know, we accept the, his, the shed blood of his son to bring us into a right relationship, there's still issues, hurts, disappointments. Whoa, there's a list. I believe the Lord is as concerned with helping us negotiate the resolution of all those barriers, all those issues, as the actual point of salvation. That's what he calls us into. A whole, complete, restored relationship. He doesn't want us to just come into a relationship that's legally justified, but one that's whole, open, and growing. And a delayed answer to prayer, here's the best part, best news, a delayed answer to prayer I don't think, it doesn't necessarily mean he's saying no. What it does mean is he wants to use your seeking him for that need to introduce you to a way, introduce me to a way through a barrier that's even more important. And I'm praying for some physical obvious need, some apparent need, and as great as it is, he may be using that to lead me and you through an even greater barrier that's keeping me from the kind of intimate relationship, keeping you from the kind of intimate relationship he really wants. And that's what we see in this woman. You know, I don't think she liked hearing the stuff she heard. Sometimes we hear things from our Lord we don't want to hear. Sometimes he confronts us with things. And it doesn't even need to be sin. It can be a pain from something that somebody else did. It can be a grievous wound from somebody else that the Lord wants to address to help us relate to him. And he will use a need that we have to bring us to address that because the relationship we have with him is always his first priority. Father, I want to thank you for your word, Lord, and it is a challenging passage of scripture. Father, it does give us pause, but I think as we take the time to look at it carefully, as we take time to understand the dynamic that is involved, what we see is not you pushing somebody away, but you showing somebody a way forward. Identifying the things that hold her away, that kept her from simply reaching out. Even as the woman with the issue of blood, Father, she had the woman with the issue of blood had just as much reason to fear reaching out and touching our Lord as anybody did. And yes, she did. And that moved your heart, Lord. That touched you in a powerful way. Here we have someone, Father, in this passage that as much as they need Jesus, they're not willing to take that last step and reach out and really touch him. And Father, you taking the time through the person of your son to walk her through those barriers to come to a place, Father, there was important business done. Father, I pray as we go through our week, as we inevitably encounter the frustrations and the difficulties, Father, we would be encouraged every time that happens. Okay, Lord, um, why is this here? What am I to learn from it? And how through this do I grow closer to you? Father, we know that's a prayer you will never say no to. How do I grow closer to you? Bring us to that place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.